Hello, and welcome to the Leader to Leader podcast, a Chime Foundation series where we bring you the best of the best in digital health leadership. I'm Russ Branzell, your host for this podcast, and the president and CEO of Chime, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. We continue to live and evolve through these challenging times for healthcare professionals, our industry partners, and the people we serve. Leaders across the industry have proven their talent and determination as they innovate and transform their organizations to meet the moment and shape the future. We're proud to know these leaders and support them here at Chime. Today, we welcome two of those incredible leaders into our Chime podcast booth. Our first guest brings 25 plus years of healthcare IT experience with a focus on EMR implementation, adoption, and project management, and shall I say, project leadership. She has led development of project management offices, governance models, and application rationalization strategies to improve the adoption of technology and increase revenue. She is the Vice President of Delivery at Divergent. Dana, welcome to the program. Thank you, Russ. I'm really excited to be here. Also joining us today is an accomplished IT executive and former CIO with a passion for helping healthcare make the most out of technology investments. He too brings over 25 years of HIT experience within the application and technology sectors. Throughout his career, he has been highly regarded for his versatility and his ability to comprehend and analyze operational, clinical, and technical concepts. Welcome to the program today, the Executive Vice President for Delivery at Divergent, Joe Greenstead. How are you? Doing great, Russ. Thanks. It's awesome to be here. Well, uh, you all are great supporters of Chime, and we so greatly appreciate what you do for us. One of the big areas you've been very supportive in is bringing together thought leaders in different formats, sometimes in person, sometimes virtually, but always with the intent of really driving best practice and thought leadership through our industry. We greatly appreciate that. And that's exactly what we were doing today. And interestingly, this podcast may come out before or after even that, but I'd love to, what, one, why is it so important for you all to want to facilitate thought leadership in our industry? Joe, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Dan. Well, I think, you know, we are an industry of incredibly bright, talented, dedicated people. And, but none of us has all the right answers. So I think every opportunity we can find, and we saw this during the Thought Leadership Roundtable, you know, the participants were taking notes as much as I was taking notes of what it, what their colleagues were saying. And we saw, you know, back and forth sharing of information and, hey, email me about this. That's important because we're, we're trying to solve big challenges right now, important challenges that affect literally the lives of people. So if we can get people together and help, they help each other solve those, that's just a, a magnifying factor. Awesome. Dana, what do you think? Russ, I think we all got into healthcare for one reason. We really want to really help change the world, really help the patients. And in order to do that, it is not going to be a one-person job. So having these leaders in a room talking and sharing strategies and hearing and learning from them so that we can bring those to other leaders is really going to help do that and accomplish that goal. So that's what really excites me about these. Well, we do greatly appreciate that you want to bring these thought leaders together. Just listen to an amazing, amazing uh, thought leadership from six truly dynamic digital health leaders. And I intentionally call them digital health leaders, not CIOs or IT leaders. They are truly trying to lead on this leading edge of all the change going on. And we covered uh, four really kind of big areas. One kind of the big, what I call the big squeeze, which is financial pressures. We talked about labor pains, which is really about the workforce shortages and challenges kind of where we're leading into AI and is it being governed well and are they doing real things? And then really kind of last is cybersecurity. 
issues. So first of all, let's just talk about the first topic here. And the, the first topic was kind of about the financial pressures. I love, first of all, what you all here heard. Uh, I mean, I heard they're busier than ever, but they're still feeling financial pressure. So ladies first, of course. Uh, so Dana, so what did you hear? No, and I think it's always interesting because our reliance on technology has increased so much that cost-saving endeavors tend to equal spend in IT. And so now you're trying to cut and be smart in your IT, you know, organization, but you're being asked to do more. And I think that that our digital health leaders are going to continue to be challenged with that. So how do they do that? You know, again, lots around application rationalization. Do you need four systems that are doing the same thing? Um, I, I do think some of these vendors are, are going to price themselves out of some of these solutions too, because it is going to get harder and harder. You've heard a, a couple of people mention, and I'm not going to say the, 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 the company's names, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the companies respond to this because they're going to want to sell more, but they're not going to be able to, to, to spend it. So I think those are some of the challenges. I also think when it comes to some of the labor costs, leveraging technology to be able to help fight the overall labor issues when they talked about the sitters and that virtual care, we have this amazing technology now. COVID taught us nothing. It taught us that we don't have to be physically next to a person to either take care of them or, or work with them. So how do you really leverage that in smart ways? Um, but there comes a lot of challenges with that. So you can't just throw a technology in place. And when we talk about, you know, the, the change management and the organizational change that needs to happen. But I keep saying you need to rethink your operating models as you're leveraging technologies. And that is probably easier for an IT team to understand. But how do you take, you know, patient flow and rethink that whole operating model? or nursing care to rethink that whole operating model as you're leveraging the technologies. So I think that's gonna be part of the, the rub there. Awesome, Joe, what'd you hear? I, you know, what I liked hearing was, and I, I really think this is a, you know, one of the silver linings of the pandemic is there is much more pressure on healthcare IT to be agile, scalable, flexible, move faster, get more done sooner because we did get so much done during the pandemic. You know, we, we flipped to, you know, from very little telemedicine to all telemedicine overnight, you know, things that we would have said before, okay, that's a two-year project, all this money. So, but but the downside of that is, is that at the same time, it's creating, the, the pandemic creates financial pressures on healthcare organizations, but yet the expectations of the organization of IT have gone up because they said, well, you did it during the pandemic. Can't we move faster? Can't we get more done? And, you know, IT sitting over here going, yeah, but I need more money. And then, you know, there's that dynamic at play. Um, what I really liked hearing from a lot of them was, though, the, um, I forget, it was um, uh, uh, Naomi talking about a digital competency program. Loved it. Yeah. Because many of them said it at the end. The challenge is, you know, with technology, a lot of times is change management and the organizational evolution. And if we start investing more in our workforce to be more digitally savvy, more digitally flexible, we're going to ease that change management burden. And, and if you think about like organizations like a Microsoft or a Facebook or even Amazon's big retailers and things, they've become much more agile at adopting change at a very rapid pace. Mm -hmm. I mean, American Airlines, I fly on them all the time. And, you know, they suddenly flip to where instead of having to scan my boarding card at the kiosk, they now have handheld devices where they're coming around and scanning our boarding passes as we're getting on the plane. Sounds like a little thing, but that's a rapid evolution. 
but then I, I go to another gate at the same airport and they're back to the kiosk. So, you know, you, you, you're seeing people who are becoming more flexible and really adopting technical change is, is where I'm going there. So I thought that that digital competency program, I, I, I underlined that because I think it is really something we need to think about because our workforce does have to be more flexible. Well, you just mentioned the word workforce, and that was the next session that we really talked about with these thought leaders and about relative to multiple things, that it's not just nursing and physicians and clinical workers that we're going to see massive shortages in. I mean, the the, Across the, board. the, the expectation of the boomer retirement worldwide is it's going to have a massive negative effect. Healthcare needs are going to go dramatically up because the boomers are retiring. They're not paying into the system anymore. They're draining off the system, um, which is what they have the right to do. Then they're retired. But yet at the same time, our workforce is shrinking, which means the, the equations don't match up anymore. A does not equal B, which does not equal C. So therefore, A does not equal C. That's the only thing I remember from geometry in, in, in <laughs> high school. But so when you listen to them, it didn't, A, at least to me, it didn't hear as panicky as I thought it would be about what's coming, but it also was at least highly aware. Joe, what did you hear relative to the workforce shortages and the, and the prob- high probability that's going to get worse? Yeah, I was. I, I had the same observation as you. After your, after your setup going into it, I was expecting them to be more engaged in the longer term problem. But I, I think like many folks in this industry, they're very caught up in what's in front of them right now. You know, they're, they're trying to fix the fire that's burning in front of you. Um, I, I do find it interesting that, you know, we're facing this intersection where artificial intelligence and generative AI is, you know, people are everybody saying, oh, that's going to come take away our jobs and sort of stuff. And as I think about it, I'm like, well, maybe that's okay, because as AI becomes more capable, maybe it can help us offset some of these people who are going to be leaving the workforce. And I think healthcare has got to be making a, an investment there. And you start, you started to hear them talking about that in terms of taking advantage of technology tools that will lead to more efficiency, that will let people practice at the top of their capability and things like that. Um, it's not that whole answer. They, there's still a whole lot of challenge they've got to figure out. Part of the access problems they keep talking about are because of staffing issues we already see. Um, and that's only going to get worse. Hmm. Interesting. Dana? Yeah, I think it goes back to the demand for tech because the response to how do you deal with the, the shortage and the crunches in the staffing models come back to, oh, let's put technology in, in the middle there to solve that whether it's automating, whether it's the online scheduling or, you know, some of those things to be more efficient. And so the reverse is that it puts more pressure and stress on your IT folks. Um, it was interesting that that most of them alluded to the fact that they're actually still able to retain and acquire talented people. But when you think about the skills that they're going to need in tomorrow, I mean, th- this stuff is coming and you can't find AI specialists, you know, they don't they don't, I'm not saying they don't exist, but there's not a lot of them, kind of like data scientists, right? Th- those things that are really emerging, especially in healthcare, there's not experts or not, not enough experts in that space. And so how do you how do you upgrow and upskill your own staff? And so the digital competency, competency thing, I think was interesting. I think in education strategy around, you know what, find people who are interested in doing this and put them in a team. And let them self-learn it and figure it out. So you're going to have to balance that current work with the innovation, with the upscaling um, to really be able to retain those people. So I do think the generation that's coming in, as we all know, to the workforce are going to be very different and require very different handholding um, and have very different needs. They're not going to be those loyal people. I think every single leader on the call talked about 
you know, they have all these loyal staff members, like they have people, the team members who have stayed there and, and lived there and been born there. And, you know, what will it's part of their community. That's not the generation that's coming into the workforce. They are not loyal. I will say it. I don't think they're going to be loyal. I don't think they're going to be loyal to the healthcare organizations as a provider and a patient. I don't think they're going to be loyal to their employers. So I think that's going to be the next challenge too, that it's keeping them interested. Yeah, I think this is going to be a real challenge. And, and I think maybe this is one that's not close enough from a pain point right now, that the reality is what they just experienced due to post-COVID nursing shortage, I think is perceived as a bit of temporal at best, not realizing the slope that that goes on now actually accelerates. And it's only going to get worse. And the thought is, I'm going to be able to get them overseas. Well, guess what? India's 4.3 million nurses short in there. UK is short. There's entire hospitals right now in the UK. They're staffed 100% with agency foreign nurses. This is going to become a much bigger problem. Or you're going to continue to pay through the nose, which yeah. they're already doing now. So it ties into the financial. Well, they can't. That's the other issue. They yeah. won't be able to do that long term. Yeah. And, and I think you said it very well when you think about boomers. And I said it yesterday when we were at another conference and I was speaking, I said, what we fail to remember is that a boomer equals 2.0 FTEs. One boomer equals 2.0 FTEs. So losing one boomer does not necessarily mean I'm losing one FTE in my organization. That person's crazy enough to work, you know, 12 hour shifts to work 80 hours a yeah. week. Guess what? The next generation's coming up, not as a knock on them, good on them yeah. realizing why should I work twice as much for half the pay yeah. equivalency um, are not going to do this. So I think this challenge is going to be massive as we move yeah. forward. And, and, We've been talking about this for six or seven years, and it, it's just starting to become reality. I hope it just all goes away, but there's zero chance it will as we move forward. Yeah, well, let's, I, feel like it's, I feel like it's the frog that, you know, we're all the frogs sitting in the frying pan that's being slowly heated up versus getting dropped into a frying pan that's boiling, you know, at full speed, full heat. We don't see it. We don't feel it yet. Well, let's jump into the next one. Um, as I'll call this one, maybe this is the new Star Wars segment here. And this is about this cool new technology that's hitting. Um, and, and whether you call it AI, which is artificial, I hate the word artificial intelligence. I'll, I'll call it advanced intelligence because I think that really is what it is. It's our ability to use all the stuff we built before in new advanced ways and do some really crazy cool things, uh, which, and I've been doing this for almost 30 years. This is the first time I can think of in 30 years that something's technology-wise it's been this new and exciting and surprised us. I mean, the internet, I don't think did it because it kind of emerged in, you know, Windows merged in. All these things kind of came in over a slow period of time. I didn't even know what the word chat GPT was at the beginning of the year. Now I use it every single day. I mean, think about this. This is the equivalent of, of Pokemon Go for the kids, <laughs> but the rest of the geeks in the world now that are all doing this cool stuff in healthcare IT and all the different businesses. Now chat GPT is right here in our face. Open AI, all these advanced things, generative. So first of all, we ask the questions about, it, it's happened so fast. Are we getting our heads around this from a governance perspective? I'm on one board of a health system. We weren't talking about this six months ago. Now it's consuming half the conversation of the tech governance process in the organization. Where do you all see yourselves? Because you do a lot of this work. But also, what's kind of your reaction to the thought process of listening to these thought leaders? So, Joe, we'll start with you first, and then we're going to come over to Dan. You know, they're hitting on the right things. And while I agree with you that, you know, this generative AI came at us much faster than the Internet, some of the things they're talking about are things we talked about at the dawn of the Internet, though, too. It's 
well, I, I don't want my patient information out on the internet. I'm, I'm not sure I want to connect my hospital to the internet. I remember having those conversations. So we're still going through the same sort of stuff, but yes, it's coming at us at a pace that's just completely unexpected. I strongly believe, and, and a lot of the people I talk to believe, the upside potential is worth it. There, There is, for a whole lot of reasons, stuff we've already talked about today and stuff we haven't talked about today. It, there's so much potential there for us to evolve and move to that next level of our society and be able to do things that we didn't think were possible before. But we, we still have to figure out how to manage the risk as we get there. So I liked what I heard the folks saying. I was also a little bit concerned because it sounded like they were typical healthcare IT. And let's that, not put that as if I'm slamming them. I'm just saying, you know, this is our industry. They're being very conservative. They're being very slow in their approach. And we need to be a little more impatient about it. We need to be pushing forward and being a little more aggressive and finding those places to innovate. You know, they talked about cases that are not patient care, you know, patient access. You know what, if we could smooth out the patient access problem, even just a little bit, that's that's impacting millions of lives every day. So let's let's work on that. That's a, that's a very simple way where we can be leaning into this a lot harder. I, I also worry that in many cases they're waiting on Epic and Cerner and others to bring them the solution. And, you know, some of these are big research institutions. I'd love to see them putting some of that research into how this can improve healthcare. Hmm. Interesting. You know, what do you hear? You know, what I keep hearing over and over on this topic is, um, I don't want to say divisive because that's probably a strong word, but people have very strong reactions one way or the other. Um, and, and, and I think that's driving decisions across the different organizations. You know, some are very proactive um, and open to it. Others are like, hey, I'm going to sit back and wait. Healthcare, as Joe said, has never been one to jump on a new technology trend quickly. And I think this is really the first time where the whole world is learning relatively at the same time. Um, it's not like, oh, this industry was super, super far ahead um, and we're 20 years later, right? I mean, computers and healthcare are literally 20 years behind other industries. But I keep coming back to, to this statement of how do you balance control, innovation, and the change management, because it is going so fast. And we heard the leaders say that most of them had the biggest concern with that rapid change, that that tech ability to understand it. Um, but you know you need to innovate. You also know you need to put controls around it. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that normalizes with all those, you know, that trifecta of competing priorities. I think it's going to be really interesting. You just take chat GPT as an example. It was released kind of to the wild in 3.0. It's already on 3.5 and a no pay. It's 4.0 on a pay. I know for a fact, because we know some of the people that are the developers and the managers of the product, they already have 5.0 in test. The 5.0 will probably release this fall to general consumers. 4.0 will become free, but there's already 6.0 and 7.0 production. And we've got people just trying to figure out what 3.0 is at this point. I think the tech's going to move so fast. And the ability to use some of these things is just going to blow our minds as we do this. And so you did hear some of their use cases. You heard some of the stuff they're really trying to do. You mentioned a couple of those. From your perspective, what should we be using it for? This is this is not listening to them necessarily. In, in your world, you advise hundreds and hundreds of customers around the world. If you could pick one or two things to say, if we could just do this to, and do it fast and get the real outcome from this, what would it be? Dan, we'll start with you. 
Yeah, I'm going to go along what Joe was alluding to. I think it's access. If you can leverage these tools to get the patients in as quickly as possible to the right provider, um, I think that is going to be the biggest big bang use case because I think that transcends every organization that I've talked to. Um, so, so for me, it's that. I, I mean, I think if you break it up into the different pockets, you have the administrative functions, you have the clinical functions, you have resource functions. Some are more cautious with, you know, when you go to that direct patient care. But I, I think everybody I've talked to, the general consent of using it for those administrative access type functions is an initial win. People are generally on board with it. You're probably doing it already today um, in other areas of, of, of you know, other spectrums of the, you know, not healthcare. So I think that to me, it's access and solving that problem. Interesting. Well, we also flipped it. Oh, no, wait, I'm going to go to you, Joe. What did you think on this one, Joe? <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. Dana agreed with me. I agree with Dana. Um, we don't want too much of that. Now. Yeah, no, no, no. The, the other thing I think that's going to be interesting is people see generative AI through the lens of chat GPT, this interactive chat experience. But generative AI underneath is really much more than that. I mean, there's, you know, OpenAI also has a tool called Dolly that can create images based on a description that you give it. So really what generative AI represents is creativity or what we perceive as creativity. At the end of the day, it's still ones and zeros bouncing around. It's not, it's not human creativity, but it sure looks a lot like it. There's other places we can be looking there and how we can leverage that generative AI capability to understand patient care, for example, understanding, you know, we talked about, about the digital twins, you know, of patients where you can begin to model care out and looking at it as to how it might play out on a patient. That's the sort of stuff where I think really is going to be interesting for healthcare. It's a little bit longer term, but I would challenge everyone to not just see the gen AI stuff just through the lens of a, a chatbot. It's right. it's way beyond that. That's just the easy interaction platform for them. I think that because the tech is moving so quickly, I, I think people need to be educated on what all these things are. I mean, you know, to some people they're buzzwords, but I'm not sure that most people even understand what they all are and to your point, what they can all do to even figure out what that best use case is. You know, it's interesting you say that because if you think about modern tech consumerism, I don't get a new thing when I get the new phone. I just play with it until I figure it out. Maybe do a couple searches myself and figure it out. The new Amazon upgrade occurs. I don't know. Even though stuff moves around, I eventually find it. The reality is this is kind of this weird first step convergence of consumerism and, and, and traditional healthcare. We're all of a sudden now, as you said, there's really not a user's manual for chat GPT. There's not a user's manual for generative AI. It's more conceptual concept of Here's some things, and let's just figure out what we can do. Your, your example of the graphic, I found that just wandering around in the, in the product. And I said, you have to buy credits, too. You have to buy so many credits. So I bought so many credits for so many images. And I just started playing with it and making up words. Hey, if I started a company called X, whatever. No, that's, that's Elon Musk. We don't want to do that. <laughs> some other thing. What image would you create for me? And I described what the company would do. And it created someone I would never in a million years. I'm never that creative to do that. So I think as we think about this, uh, what do you think about this? This this may be absolutely the convergence and the collision between consumerism and modern healthcare, which means sometimes collisions can be a little messy, can be a wreck. I, I mean, I think people are going to struggle with it. I, I think your average caregiver or patient is going to be very, very overwhelmed with the change. And so I think from a change management perspective, and if you're thinking about your total experience, you know, your patient, your staff, um, you know, everything that goes into that, you know, I, I would be concerned. 
I would be concerned with that balance of innovation and rapid change to solve the business problems and that consumerism. Well, Joe, I know you're going to give a different answer on this. You want to go as fast as you can. I know it does. Well, I do. But, you know, I will tell you the fact that you can find your way around your new phone, the fact that you can find your way around a changed Amazon page is not accidental. There's a lot of, and we focus on this a lot at Divergent, user-centered design or oh, human-centered design. Yep. They, they, it, it isn't just accidental that that Amazon page is laid out the way it is. It's 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 thoughtful design. I mean, I, my last place I got to work with Amazon Web Services a lot, and I saw how they did their design. And they literally start with the consumer and work backwards. And I would say what we're guilty of in, in healthcare IT and is we've done to the clinicians and the patients with tools. We, we built these tools and we've given them to them and said, this should work for you, but you need eight hours of classroom training and, you know, a 24-7 help desk to do it and stuff. Amazon doesn't have a 24-7 help desk. You don't need eight hours of training. So part of what we've got to invest in as we do all of this stuff is understanding who the users are and building it for them. And if we do that, we're going to find that just like finding your way around an Amazon page, Somebody's going to be able to go into an EHR someday and be able to find their way around without a lot of training because it's going to be built to be intuitive. Interesting. Well, I'm not going to dwell on the last thing we, well, the next last thing we talked about was cybersecurity. I think that went self-explanatory. I'm going to shift on something we heard in their last kind of their report out, which I, I was surprised at how much this word came up uh, in there. And I'm going to actually change the words they use just because I, I don't like the word they used. They talked a lot about change management. To me, that's traditional change management. That's project management office, tasks and tools and time and deliverables and all those. What they were really talking about is the concept of change leadership, about helping human beings get to another place, helping people and taking the people along with them with this massive change that even if they hate what they have today, they don't want to change. How do you all approach kind of this concept of, and, and what does that mean to you when you hear so much? And by the way, this is the first time in all the years of me doing these jobs, I've heard that many people consistently say that one of their biggest challenges is change leadership moving forward in a time when people we thought were really kind of loving the change post-COVID and thought we can move fast. How do you all react to that? Well, I think some of it is, you know, what we talked about it with the digital competency and making the investment in um, our workforce to be digitally competent. But one of the things we really focus on at Divergent is organizational change management or OCM, which is a formal science of what you're talking about, Russ, which is change leadership, change enablement, um, you know, really approaching that from a more thoughtful and structured place. So it's not just a random act. It, it is it, getting somebody from A to B is a science and helping them find their way. And, it, and it's a science that's, that's fuzzy because everybody gets there differently. But there are some general things we can do in an organization to push, not push, but pull along or bring along the folks through the change and accelerate it. And I think the reason you're hearing it so much from those folks, and I've heard it from other other leaders that we've talked to, is they're finally at a place where IT can move faster than the users. I mean, we really have learned how to be more nimble and agile, but the users can't keep up. Change leadership. It's actually about the people and not the tech. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think that goes back to some of the things that we talk about about that user-centric design, right? If you're putting the, the user or the person or the patient in the center and things that you're designing, the change is easier because it just makes more logical sense. Um, but I do think we're going very fast. And I think when you're tying it to these, these AI functions, because the tech is changing so fast, you think you need to move that fast. Um, and there's really no... There's no one workflow or there's no one thing that you're saying this tool can do. 
Um, and so I, I think because there's so many things out there, that's why the leaders are really worried about it. But I do think putting some structure, making it a cultural change, um, you know, this is ingrained in everything that you do. And through our methodology and through the things that we talk about, it is really that empowerment, that that user-centric design, that trial, right? Try it, make sure, iterate it, um, and then get it out there. But really to make it easy enough for people to adopt, I think it's going to be your key. Well, the last question we asked, which is where some of that came from, was the, what are you most looking forward to in 2024? And what's your biggest challenge during that period of time? So I'm going to do the same thing. We'll go, let ladies go first again to finish this off. What is What are you personally, and you can say organizationally if you want, that's actually what we prefer. Um, what are you looking forward to the most going into 22? But what do you think the greatest challenge is going to be? So I think from a divergent perspective, I'm most looking forward to being able to take some of the tech that exists and really seeing how the, or, um, the organizations optimize it and leverage everything new that's coming out. You know, we're no longer in the state of just implementing new tools. We are really optimizing and bringing them to that next level and really seeing the outcomes um, and the benefits, right? So for many years, it was, we need this because we need to check the box, but now we're really seeing the benefits of having that data. And so leveraging the data with the, with the automated tools to really be able to see those clinical patient outcomes. I think what scares me most is, is how rapidly the technology is changing and evolving and how do we all keep up with that? And how do we keep it you know, safe? I, I think that real balance between innovation and controls is really, is really what makes me most nervous. Sure. I am I'm incredibly optimistic on the upside of technology to be able to enable and fix some not fix, but improve some of these healthcare challenges we all know we have. Um I, I think you know 2024 is could be because we are starting to see organizations emerge you know we we heard it from the folks on the panel. They're starting to emerge from the post-COVID hangover that hit them financially, hit them workforce wise and some of that stuff. And they're starting to point their their sites forward again. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity there for that. Um, I continue to be concerned about the financials, though. The financial model of, of healthcare in the U.S. specifically and is, is not a sustainable um, model to go with. And, and it's kind of interesting. You know, we hear them, like you said, talking about We've got plenty of demand. There's no shortage of demand. And, you know, the classic laws of supply and demand say they should be able to drive up price. But because of the unique model of how healthcare works, they can't. So, you know, that's a, that's a whole other challenge. You know, the, pay, the payer provider equation is going to be continue to be a challenge. And I think if the economy starts to show some downward trends, we're really going to see some challenges there because the payers are going to be pulling back, trying to save money, you know, protect their bottom lines, all of that sort of stuff, while the providers, people are still showing up at their front door for care. Well, I'm going to follow up with another question, just, just so we can here. Um, if you had, I, I love doing this at the end of, of all these programs, which is if you could have a wish, you know, kind of, I call it king or queen for the day. I Now I just say ruler of the day, because I don't want to be anything specific. If you could change one thing in healthcare, you see, so many organizations. What's the one thing you would just change in healthcare at a macro level that you think could have the most profound impact in improving health and care delivery here and globally? So actually I'll start with, I'll, I'll give you the last word, Dana. So uh, you go with Joe first. I'll continue what I was saying for a financial model that's sustainable and make sure we have access to care for everybody because we don't have that today. Hmm. So full financial reform. 
Yeah, Carrollton. Ooh, interesting. That's a big one. Wow, follow that hey, one. You, up, said, you said go big. <laughs> so I, I would have said that because I do believe that's actually the fundamental root cause of, of half of our problems here. Um, but I will say one secure, safe place for all the data that you can truly access at the point of care or when needed so that you can treat all the patients and know everything about them and have it presented to me in like this one-stop shop. Wow, that is two big ones. So, wow, that's interesting. Joe, Dana, thank you again so much for, for facilitating this great thought leadership, but also providing your thought leadership and what you see in these areas, what you see really happening with not just your customers, with our industry as a whole. We also appreciate how you do everything to support Chime and our mission really to make a, a big impact on healthcare as a macro level. Thanks for being on the program today. Thanks, Russ, for having us. My pleasure. Thank you. And for all of you listening, thank you for joining us for this episode of our ChimeCast. As always, you can visit us at our website at chimecentral.org forward slash media or on Spotify for this and all the amazing healthcare leaders and the podcasts we run. Continue to innovate, transform, and create positive change to advance and improve health and care throughout all the communities you serve. But for now, stay safe and God bless.